It is a time for children this morning. I want to invite all the kids who are here to come forward for our time together. No, thanks. <coughs> Good morning. <coughs> what do you think? Oh, they're not. That would be cool, though. Yeah. Good morning. Come on up. I'm so glad you're in church today. Welcome. Come up and find a place to sit and see what I have here in my basket. Can you see what it is? Well, actually, these aren't the chocolate kind. That would be really cool if they were. These are just the, these are just the play ones. Yeah, that's what they are. Good morning. But look how many they are. You are exactly right. These are the ones that we are going to use for a night in Bethlehem in a few weeks. But you know why I brought them today? Because when we think about Thanksgiving... Have you been making lists at school about what you're thankful for? No. Have you been talking at school about what you're thankful for? Yes. Maybe you've been talking. You know what? And I saw some sheets that I thought about using for color sheets today. Here, let's leave them here for just a minute. I know. There's so many. And the list had like a place for you to list four things you're thankful for. Or maybe one of the sheets had a list to make, uh, a place to list ten things you're thankful for. But I got to thinking about all the blessings we have from God. And I figured each one of us have about this many. What do you think? Yeah, Yeah, it's my turn to do what Casey's been doing. I think if we had to count them, it would be, there would just be so many. We couldn't ever stop counting. There would be so many. Oh, can I have that one? Did it roll away? Oh, we don't want to lose any of our things that we're thankful for. I know. Now... I have another question for you. Can you put them down for a minute? I know. There's just so many. It's like being in the desert. It's just so fun. Oh, well, the desert doesn't have silver. No, it doesn't. But you know how you like to feel the sand? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it's like. What do you think, what do you think Jesus would do if Jesus had all of these blessings? You think he would go buy toys and bicycles and yes. video games? Yes. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe if he was a kid, he would. I bet he liked toys too. Yeah. What do you What do you think though about when he was when he was a grown up and he was telling all those people wonderful stories about God? He would give them. He would give them. You think so? Like give one to you. Give one to you. And give one to you. And give one to you. And one to you. Are they going? Are they going? Did you get one? Casey. Well, yeah. Can you share one? Just one. Because I really do need him for Bethlehem in a couple weeks. Here you go. And one for you. And one for you. And one for you. Yeah? You like the shiny ones? And you know what? It wouldn't stop there. I'm going to give you... How many do you think today? Three? Three's good. That's nice and biblical. We'll be three. Oh, you got more than three here. Can you just do three? Probably about three. What do you think you're supposed to do with the extra two? What do you think you should do with the extra two? Are you sitting by some people in church today? Are you sitting by some people in church today? Who are you sitting by? Bentley, who are you sitting by in church today? Yeah? Bennett, who are you sitting by in church today? Miss Mary? Harrison, who are you sitting with today? Yeah? Charlie, who are you sitting with today? With Harrison? Who are you sitting with today? In church. You sitting by some family back there? Yeah? Oh, you got some? These are blessings to share. Because when we have so many blessings, they're not just for us. 
we're going to share. Did you get some, sweetheart? Did he get some? Did you want some? Yeah? Okay. Well, good. Good. And we're going to give thanks this morning for all those blessings. You ready? Let's pray. Oh, yeah. 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 I have about 300. I know. I know. Ready? Okay. And let's say, dear God, we give you thanks for all our blessings that are so many, they're hard to count. Thank you, God, for all we're thankful for, for loving us. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen. If you didn't get three, come get three before you go back to your seat. And happy Thanksgiving. You can take three with you. You can take three with you. I got four. Can you just do three? No. Please? No. Please? No. Yeah, that way. All right. You got three? All right. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Pastor Caroline. Many, many blessings. We are hearing a parable that Jesus told from the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And we will begin reading at the 14th verse. Listen for the word of God. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. 
For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. This, I think, is one of the most difficult parables in all of the Gospels. When I was a child, I had a storybook with this parable in it, and it was one of my favorites. But, of course, it didn't end with the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, right? This story is often used for stewardship. And... The word talent is then interpreted to mean gifts or talents. But actually, the Greek word talenta is a money word. And one talent during Jesus' time was equivalent to 15 years of wages for a day laborer. So the master in this parable is handing over an awful lot of money to these three servants and asking them to manage it while he leaves and he's off the scene. Now, stewardship, if this were a stewardship sermon, stewardship talks about our response to what God has already done. But I want to suggest to you that this parable that we've heard is not about stewardship, per se. It's about how we live our lives when Jesus Christ isn't physically on the scene. Okay? So at the beginning of chapter 25, we have the story of the ten ten bridesmaids five of whom keep their lamps trimmed and ready and full of oil for the coming of the bridegroom, and five who let their lamps run out. And then we have this parable. And then, after this parable, Jesus tells the story about the sheep and the goats and about how when we see to the least of these that we are actually serving and seeing to Jesus himself. So it is within this context, Jesus is talking about the last things, and that's something that we talked about last week as well in 1 Thessalonians. And this parable asks the question, in fact, it leaves it begging out there, when... Jesus is not physically on the scene. How are we living our lives? Now, I find that when I read this story, this parable, 
that I start feeling pretty protective of God, right? Because we often read parables in allegorical ways, that there's a character in the parable, often the master or the lord of the vineyard, um, that we equate to God, right? And I look at the master in this parable, and I, I, you know, I'm not too nuts about him. I don't know about you. I'm not too nuts about him. He seems harsh. But as I was stewing about this parable this week, what I realized is that I was believing the voice of the third servant. Right? The third servant is the one who says, Lord, I knew that you are one who reaps where you did not sow. And that you are a demanding man. Well, would the first two servants agree with that statement? I don't think so. The first two servants experienced the master as abundant, as giving generously, and then trusting them to do the work that needed to be done with what they had been given. And they invest, and it increases. But the third, the third slave is so fearful. And so he goes and he buries the talent in the ground and just leaves it there until the master returns and then gives it to him unused. Hmm. What allegory would fit there? I'm going to rip off Brother Josh here. He preached this text in the early service. What if, what if a talent could be equated to our faith? Do we use our faith? Do we work our spiritual practices and let it grow to where it goes beyond ourselves out into a world who is so in need of love and compassion? Or do we give in to our fears and hold on tightly and make our faith something that is safe into our own selves? It occurs to me that the harsh phrases at the end of this parable that the master is just leaving the third slave to his own fear. For if fear masters us, what else is it but gnashing of teeth and darkness? Right? What is it that we hear Jesus talk about over and over and over again in the Gospels? Do not fear. And faith is the opposite of fear. Hmm. It also occurs to me that the master in this parable risks an awful lot. He hands over an enormous sum of money to each servant, each according to their ability. 
trusting that they're going to invest it, do something good with it while he's no longer on the scene. And two of them do and experience even more abundance. We are getting ready to enter the season of Advent and to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Christ child. Consider the claim that is in that. The claim is that God takes on flesh and comes among us as a baby. It's a matter of life and death for a baby. If they do not have relationship and people that care for the baby, the baby will die. Talk about risk. Our God is a God who continually risks. And so the question is put before us in this parable. Do we risk as our God has? Or do we go into our little boxes of fear, terrified of what might happen if we X, Y, Z? We could ask that question of congregations. Do congregations build little boxes, little safety zones? Or do congregations risk Because God has already risked all and step out to try to make God's abundant compassion and care visible and manifest in the world. There was a young man some years ago, came from a large family, had a lot of siblings, And his mother was very, very diligent at spending time with him and with each of his siblings, um, entering into conversation about faith and about how we grow spiritually. And as he grew and went to college, he found that he hungered to increase his faith to invest it in the world, but he had a hard time finding people who felt that way. You know, might be a challenge for college students. I don't know. So he graduated and then learned that his younger brother also went to college and began to have the same yearning. And so the two of them got together, and then there were a couple of other friends that were seeking to practice spiritual disciplines together and to increase their faith. And the way they did this was by getting together at least once a week, and they would study Scripture together, and they would pray together. They would receive communion once a week. And then another joined their group, and he said, hey, you know, there's there's a prison on the outskirts of town, and... There's a lot of work we could do there. And so they risked. And they went to the prison, and it became a regular part of their faith practice. Gathering, gathering to study the scriptures. They take communion every week. 
And then they'd go work in the prison. And then they began working with children. And they also earned the derision of some of the people that were around them. You know what they were called? Methodists. Methodists. John Wesley risked so much that it got to where he was banned from preaching in any church building in England. And yet, and yet, a new movement was born that was built on the risk of that little early group of Methodists or Bible moths or holy clubbers, whatever they were called by those around them. But they risk. And my friends, that is the challenge before us. As people of God, do we let our fears bind us in darkness? Or do we trust that the God who has risked everything will be with us as we risk for the kingdom? so that God's abundance may be made manifest in the world. The challenge is before us. How will we answer? Amen.